If you would, please follow me in the reading of the most holy word of God, beginning in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Father, uh, amazing section that we are in, and Lord, I pray that Your Spirit in all power will teach each of us that we will have ears to hear that we start understanding more and more what is the church. Why is the church? Father, we've already looked at it in chapter 1 that it was your plan. Chapter 2, the fulfillment of that plan. Chapter 3 concluded with a prayer for that plan. And now chapter 4, we see that plan. Help us, Father, to hold firm to the words of truth. Help us to move away from being children tossed to and fro. Help us to be unified in the faith. Help us to grow in our knowledge of the Son of God to the maturing of the fullness of Christ. Father, only you can do this. So I beg your throne now. In Christ's name, amen. We are looking at what I call the building of the body. As a pastor, I get stuff weekly on how to grow the church. I've got to be honest with you, I kind of cop an attitude on it because he said he would build the church. So if I'm going to build the church, who am I competing with? Christ. I don't want in that fight. And so you guys know that I have been in this church for 35 years. I've been the senior pastor for 25 years plus, And I have not changed. I still do the same thing I did 35 years ago. It is to teach the Bible. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never. And I think it's imperative for each of us to understand that. I have a, I told you we've done a lot of stuff in Russia. I had a friend of mine who preached under the communist and suffered some terrible things. And I asked him, at the collapse of socialism, that what was the greatest thing that he's seen now with this newfound freedom? He said, big Slavic man had a tears in his eyes. He said, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That's Ephesians 1. And I was like, well, you didn't know that? And he said, no. He said, all I had for 20 years was the gospel of Luke. He didn't know there was any more. 
And I said, well, I bet your people know Luke well. <laughs> I mean, so welcome to the other 65 books. Okay, but I think that we here have become in this country very complacent. And I could ask 50 people what church is, and I'd probably get 50 answers, different answers, and probably none of them would be right. The Apostle Paul has given this to us here. In verse 11, he said that God has given gifts. And he said that, and, and he does it in the context of the victorious king, and he gets the spoils of his victory. And upon giving the spoils of his victory, he gives them out. And he says that he gives gifts to every believer. If you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you have a supernatural gift that is precious to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave it to you. But there's something else that he gave. And I I believe that it is never appreciated. I don't believe that it is treated well. And, and, and I don't believe that we are thankful for it. And that is gifted men. He has two kinds, and I've shared with you that the foundation of the church was the apostles and prophets. To build on top of that foundation was the evangelists. And the word is hyphenated in the original language, pastor-teachers. If you look at what a pastor is supposed to do, and, and we always have it in our mind, this is a pastor, it's just a shepherd. And what is a shepherd supposed to do? Lead and feed. Lead and feed. That's their, their call. But the thing that we miss is that God gave to the body of Christ these gifted men. And that's what we're dealing with. What is it that these gifted men are supposed to do? And that's what we're working through. It is for the equipping the saints. Equipping the saints. That would be the believers in Jesus Christ. Strengthening the saints. Making them stronger. That's what the gifted men do. Why? Simple. For the work of service. The work of ministry. See, the model that exists in the United States today in the church is that I need to do something to get as many butts in the seats as I can. Because then I can get more money, so I can get ministers, so I can get more people in. The problem is that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is that the gifted men in the church strengthen the saints so that they do the Work of ministry. Okay? And that is the building up of the body of Christ. You want to see a strong church? You have gifted men. Maturing the saints. And you see a strong church. Listen, there's no plan B. There's no plan B. Because when we strengthen the body, when you start maturing or perfecting, then you will find out that you have attained to the unity of the faith. Years and years and years and years ago, I, just, uh, I felt like as a, as a shepherd, I needed to have 
my eschatology that I knew. Okay, you know what eschatology is? End times. End times. Second coming of Christ. What do you believe? Most of you, I guarantee, believe something that somebody else has taught you. Okay, because I remember when I started, it took me about five years. And I had to, I started, I went through Ezekiel, I went through Isaiah, I went through First and Second Thessalonians, Matthew 25, the book of Revelations. I went through all of it. Daniel. I mean, I was putting it all together. I wanted all the pieces. And I started out as a pre-trib, a mid-trib, a post-trib, I don't know trib. And I had no idea what was going on trib. And you know what my biggest problem was? Everything people had told me. It kept running into certain things. I was like, wow, man. Wow, man. This, wow, man. You know, maybe it is. Well, I don't know. And, and eventually I got it worked out. And people say, well, what do you believe about the church in the end times? Romans 8.1. <laughs> what? Yeah, Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the church doesn't go through the tribulation. And I remember talking to a professor up at Denver Seminary. <laughs> he said, well, the word condemnation and wrath are different. I said, yeah, I know that. And he says, well... That word, what you're using in Romans is condemnation. And he says, and we don't know that that's, see, that's wrath. And I was like, well, now let me ask you a question. If you're in it, is there a difference between condemnation and wrath? Nah, <laughs> there ain't no difference here. So that's how I came to that conclusion. But here's the difference. I did it myself. I wanted to know what it means. And you know what? Brothers and sisters, the same Holy Spirit that was in the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and in me is the same one that's in every one of you. And he's the author of Scripture. The problem is, are you trying to master the Scriptures or are you allowing the Scriptures to master you? And there's the battle. That is what it means to come to the unity of the faith. I mean, I watch people want to fight over things that they're not even aware of. Okay, what is the church? Well, that's easy. Pillar and foundation of truth. First Timothy. I don't have a problem with that. Okay, so why do we want to make it something that we want to make it? Why is it that you believe that the pastor should be growing the church? That's the norm. And yet, what we're missing is, we're not maturing the saints. You know, I have told this over and over until I'm blue in the face. That the man that is behind this had better be a theologian. Okay, theology is the study of God. The man who stands up here had better be an exceptional student in the study of God. If you're not, sit down and work on it. That's not, that's not embarrassing. I would rather you say, you know, I don't know. Then to get up there and make up something 
Because let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, eternity is based on this. This isn't, well, it was close. No, it got nothing to do with it. You know, people say, well, you go so stinking slow through a book. How do you get people to stay with you? I said, well, you know, God woke me up in the middle of the night one time. He doesn't do that very often to me because I don't let him. But he doesn't do that very often. And he woke me up and he says, what makes you think you'll get an opportunity to teach it again? I was like, okay, boss. No worries. How long have we been in Ephesians? Nobody wants to admit to it. It was actually about 45 minutes. So, to the 2,000th power. But anyway. But I, I, I share this because I told a couple of people before I started here, when I go into this book, this church is going to have some problems. There will be uh, scouring, is as I placed it. Well, why do you say that? Because I've read it. Well, but I don't... Guess what? Ask them. Was there scouring going on? Okay. Why? Because I read it. Why? Because there has to be a unity of the faith. There only comes one way, people. That is drinking deep. The Holy Word of God. And exhausting it. And listen, it isn't. That should be the goal of every child of God. People ask me, well, why did you ever become a pastor? And what caused you to have such a passion for God's Word? And I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you. I got saved in a really bad place. And I, when I was... <laughs> Released from public housing. I uh, found a church and I said, uh, man, I don't know nothing about the Bible. But I do know I need to be baptized. And it was a Wednesday. And the guy said, well, you know, you know, I said, I just need to be baptized. And he said, well, but I was like, listen, if you're not going to baptize me, I'll go somewhere else. I guess I sold him on it. And he baptized me. But it was kind of strange because the guy I was getting baptized with was on a Wednesday night. The guy I was getting baptized with, he said, well, how, how are you doing? What's your name? And I told him. And I said, I just got into the state and here I am. And he said, uh, this is my third time. And I was like, what? I got to do this regularly? <laughs> yeah, right after communion. But, but see, I didn't know anything. I had no, I had, the only thing I knew about the Bible was the 23rd Psalm. And it was on a card that they gave me at the burial of my father. And at the 23rd Psalm, I knew I needed to be baptized. So I was a theologian. So I got baptized and I said, what am I supposed to do? And he says, read the Gospel of John. Cool. Why would I start reading the book in the middle? But then it started dawning on me. Everything went south on me. My business went south. Everything just blew up on me. And I kept thinking, boy, this salvation thing, this is awesome. And I remember mad at him. Why don't you come down here and fight like a man? 
Not a smart thing to do. Just don't, I'll just give you a heads up on that. Come on. What is this? And you know why I got so infatuated with the Bible? I wanted to find the contradictions in it. Still looking. I read my Bible every day. Have now for 35 years. I want to keep looking. Because everybody tells me they're all over the place. I just got to keep looking until I find it. See, that's not really the most spiritual way to start studying your scriptures, is it? But you know what? He has blessed me. And he has allowed me to discover the faith. Not based on denominations. Not based on what church I was raised in. It was based on this is, says the Lord. This is his word. And that's where I got it. They tell me the Bible is written for an eighth grade education. There's some really smart eighth graders out there. You guys are really some. That maturing process in the unity of the faith brings you to a oneness. And it's a oneness that's not based on, well, we all like music. Because I got news for you, when the trials of this life come on, I don't care what your music favorites are. Oh, we all like to fish. Or we all like to hunt. Or they like to quilt. Or they like to do this or do that. You know what? When the trials come, and you will get them, none of that will keep you together. But the unity of the faith will. The unity of the faith. Listen, brothers and sisters, that is the real Jesus. Okay, when people say, well, what part of the gospel do you like? I said, all of it. They said, well, what part? I said, Genesis to Revelations. That's the gospel. Mature the saints, and as you mature them, then they understand the faith. It isn't because, well, the pastor said, or the Sunday school teacher said. They understand the faith, and they are committed to the faith, and they love the faith, and they live the faith. And you don't have to teach them how, because they know it, because of their commitment. That is how the body is strengthened. Now, I told you we were in five purpose clauses that have results. All right? The first one is the unity of the faith. The second one is uh, one that I think is amazing. I think it is a little misunderstood. When I read the gospel, and it doesn't matter where I'm at, whether you're in Deuteronomy, whether you're in Leviticus, I don't care if you're in Malachi, the Italian prophet, I don't care where you're at, okay, in this thing. But I will tell you this. The gospel is a call to self-denial. Right? It's hard to not get around that. So the second thing that we have to look at is the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of the Son of God. Listen... This is not salvation knowledge. Okay, salvation knowledge is basic 
first of all, you have to know you're a sinner. Okay? And you will slowly get a grasp of how deep your sin is as I continue to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. But salvation, the first step is to say, ah, I'm a sinner, and I'm in such a bad place, there's nothing I can do. I can't, I can't fix this. Okay, now that you've got that out of the way, what do you do? Who fixed it? Jesus Christ. He hung on the cross. He paid the penalty of my sins. That's the essence of salvation knowledge. Okay? And you don't receive Jesus Christ. You do not accept Jesus Christ. I can't even find where you're supposed to say a prayer. And that'll save you. But the Bible says, believe on him and repent. Repentance comes because of my belief in who he is. That's salvation knowledge. But that's usually down the path a little bit. Then all of a sudden you start realizing, oh, wow. You're right. Then he says, you know what? I have overcome. Then you start realizing what your power source is. This knowledge that he is speaking of here, the Apostle Paul, in verse 13, the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember what Paul said to the church in Philippi, in Philippians? That I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering, the power of his resurrection, and conformed into his death. Now listen, if anybody knew the Lord Jesus Christ, it's Paul. And yet he says, I want to know more. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want the power of the resurrection. I want to know that power. Paul had met him on the Damascus Road. And Paul walked with him his entire life in weakness. In infirmity. In pain. And throughout everything, Christ was with the Apostle Paul. Yet, Paul said, I haven't even begun to know the depths of him. And he cried out, Oh, that I may know him. Ever had that yet? You ever had to cross that line when all of a sudden you realize that I have a very superficial understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then cry out that I may know Him? The power of His suffering? The power of His resurrection? That's a mature saint. That's a mature saint. That comes to those who have been perfected, those who have been matured by gifted men and are ministering, are actually serving in the body of Christ. They are building it up and who know the unity of the faith. Then they will have that knowledge of the Son of God. This is a deep knowledge. This is a vital knowledge. This is a real relationship with the living Christ to know Him. Do you know him that way? Or he is just the Savior Christ? Or do you understand that he is the Son of God? Do you understand that all judgment has been given unto him? 
Do you understand that when he comes back, all of the grace is gone? Do you understand that he deals out grace right now, but you cannot identify when grace has stopped? Do you know that one? Do you know him? Or do you know him as a little baby in the manger? That Jesus. Or do you know him and the power of his resurrection? Do you know him that he could walk through walls? Do you know him he walked on water? Do you know him that for three years in the lands of Israel, death and disease ceased? That Jesus. I want to know the one that I can pay my taxes with a fish. That one there means a lot to me right now. I'm working on my 2018 taxes. I know it's 2019, but why hurry? But anyway, I think, you know, I, I think tomorrow I'm just going to go fishing up on the plat and get my tax money and be done. What do you figure? My wife just said no. <laughs> you need to go see the accountant, dummy. Okay, I want to know him. I, I know where my depth is right now. I want more. Because you know what? I know on this side of heaven, I can't exhaust it. I remember reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, And you will know as you are known. I'll know how many hairs Jesus has on the top of his head. He knows when a sparrow falls. That Jesus. That one is so concerned about you that he never sleeps. He's always concerned. If you remember in verse 17 of chapter 3, we studied this some time ago, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. The word dwell there, means to be completely comfortable. Uh, I don't know about how women do it, but I know how guys do it. Uh, you've usually got an old pair of flip-flops or something that you hang out with that probably are not safe, but you put them on. You've got an old pair of sweats that's got holes in obnoxious places, and you wear that when you're around the house, and you are comfortable. Okay? Now, you're a little embarrassed if there's a knock at the door, but you are still comfortable. Okay? That's how Jesus wants to be in your heart. I know, everybody's automatically pictured Jesus in sweats. That's not what I was trying to get at. Okay? He wants to be totally at home with you. Have you ever asked, what is God's will? Get closer to Him, you'll know it immediately. Okay? Christ really wants to be at home in your heart. To the, the writer of the New Testament, the heart is the place of your conscience. You know your conscience? That one that nobody else knows? That conscience. Remember that one? That's that one that's just between you and you. But now that you're a child of God, guess what? You've got a roommate. 
So whatever your conscience is doing, your roommate says, what was that about? That one. That is to know the Son of God. So do you see, when he says that here in verse 13, do you understand what he's saying? Is that he wants you to have an intimate, overwhelming relationship with the Son of God. This is so far beyond superficial. This is a knowing. When Jesus said, I know my sheep. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, Israel only have I known. See, Jesus knowing his sheep is, is not just knowing who they are. He knows them. He knows what hurts you. He knows what you struggle with. He knows the pain you endure. He knows the things that you worry about with a smile on your face that nobody else knows you're worried about it. He knows all of that. That's what it means that I know my sheep. He knows what you fear. He knows what you say before it comes out of your mouth. He knows the things that you wanted to say that didn't come out of your mouth. That is Him. That is Him knowing. This is an intimacy. Let me give it to you in the physical realm. The temporal that you and I can grab a hold of. Adam knew Eve and they had a son. Same terminology. Same terminology. That's the relationship Jesus Christ wants with every one of his children. Jesus Christ give us the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ that you and I are a part of, so that He could give gifted men to mature each and every one of you. So that each and every one of you would be completely united in the faith, and that each and every one of us would be in knowledge, an intimate relationship with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. This is a deep, personal intimacy. This knowledge of God... This intimacy has a depth to it. And as you are strengthened day in and day out, guess what? That intimacy grows. Remember the greatest man born of woman? John the Baptist. You know why? He must increase. I must decrease. What happens if the church does that? What happens if every one of us decide, you know what? I'm decreasing. He's increasing. You ever thought about that? What would the church look like? I can tell you what it looked like. Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, did you know that was the body of him? When gifted men bring the saints to maturity. Okay, let me explain that to you. You've got to be here. Okay? You've got to be here. If you're not here, how are you growing? 
Are you doing it yourself? Then why did God give us gifted men? Hmm, interesting concept, don't you think? When He brings the saints to maturity through these gifted men, they will do the work of ministry. It's automatic. It just happens. People say, well, why, are you, why did you become a preacher? I was the last guy standing. Everybody else had left. They said, hey, can you take the pulpit until we find somebody? Yeah, 25 years ago. These guys are slow. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? I can tell you on the first one million things I want to be when I grew up, shepherd ain't it. And yet God said, no, he's after the word. I need somebody who's got the word, a diligence to the word, and I will put them in a place to do what? Mature the saints. And then the saints will begin doing the ministry. And then when the saints begin ministering to one another, you should be praying for one another. You should be bearing one another's burdens. You should be helping each other study the word. You should be bouncing questions off. You know, I read this and I haven't got a clue what it says. And as you go through all of those things, you'll have somebody who is behind you. You'll have somebody ahead of you. And you just keep passing it around. And what happens? You and I begin maturing one another. The body is unified. We begin serving each other. The body is built up. And when it's built up, there is a bunch of marvelous miracles. There's a real non-shakable unity. There is a deep, rich unity. There is a vital, personal, genuine, living experience with the living Christ right now. And you know what? The living Christ is the most awesome friend you can have. Because with Him, do you realize you have absolutely no need of anything? Do you hear what I said? You don't need a pet. We all have pets. Well, I, I like pets. You don't even need a family. You have eternal family in Jesus Christ. You don't need anything. He says, I have given you everything you need for life, temporal, and godliness, eternal. But until you start maturing and understanding what that is and what that really, really means, you'll be tossed to and fro. And you'll fall into schemes, deceptive schemes. I'm dealing with some situations right now. Uh, young people, a little younger than some of you guys in the probably early 20s, mid-20s. And, and they're, they're playing with mysticism. They, well, but, but I can, I can see things. I, I see these these dark clouds around people's heads, that means that they're evil. I said, you know what you're dealing with right there? They said, what? I said, that's satanic. Well, but we, no, you are not smart enough and confident enough in the Word of God to fight that realm. I have been in this thing for 35 years and I can count on one hand people that I would go into the demonic realm with. Because I know how that battle is fought. And it's not for rank amateurs. But these kids, you know, but I've seen it. I don't care what you've seen. I've been to the Grateful Dead concert. 
There's things I've seen there I'm still scarred over. Please. But I watch people and you don't have an understanding of the faith. How in the world are you going to go with someone who was there at the creation? You can't fight him. And I already told him, I don't want no part of this. One lady said, well, I, I'm going to go. My friend has disappeared and we think she's been murdered. And we're going to do a seance. And I said, you don't need to be in that. You don't need to be in there. Why? You're not biblically strong enough to stand in that. Now that hurts people's feelings, but what's the alternative? Let them. Finally, I said, okay, here's the deal. You can do it under one condition. What? I go with you. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, why not? So she didn't. She said, no, I won't do it. I was like, amen. And I said, thank you. <laughs> I can't get my five friends together that quick. <laughs> but you see what I'm trying to say? There are things that are going on in your lives right now that Jesus has already conquered, but you've got to know that he's already conquered it. Listen, I heard a friend of mine told me years and years ago. He said, the problem in the United States is that it's birdbath Christianity. I'm pretty sure that wasn't a compliment. Okay? Another friend said that Christianity in the United States today is five miles wide and one inch deep. And brothers and sisters, as we start drawing to a conclusion of this age, we should better get our ducks in a row so that when the trials and tribulations come, we have the unity of the saints who are ministering to one another out of love and compassion and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can be as the Apostle Paul and say, I have fought the good fight. There was laid up for me a crown. And for all of those who listened. This purpose is to make the next line there is amazing. To mature the man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I shared this with you and I'll deal with this next week. Don't panic. I know that some of you will listen faster than I talk. But that's okay. But I just want you to know this. There's one reason that you were saved. Did you know that? The Bible says there's one reason that you were saved. Only one. Romans 8. To be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why you were saved. So, let me ask you a question. Do you look like Christ? Just a question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessings that you've bestowed upon each of us. But Lord, Lord, I think about this text and I think about the condition of the church today. Father, I pray that the pastor teachers and the evangelists will begin strengthening the saints for the work of service, building up the body. 
Christ until we are in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That we, as mature to the measure of the stature, it belongs in the fullness of Christ. May our love grow for you with every breath we take. Christ's precious name. Amen.